SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Do you not understand? Do you want to be taken away? Answer me! No! No, you don't understand? No! No, what? No! Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Shergy. With me is Thrasher. And Alex. Hello, hello. Lilo and Stitch was released in uh, June 21st, 2002. Running time of 85 minutes, according to Box Office Mojo, it made $273 million off a budget of $80 million. So it was the rare, profitable 2D animated Disney show uh, feature around this time. Directed and written by Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois. Um, has, you know, some voice cast people are, are well known, but it's I don't think it's quite like an all-star thing like a Shrek or something. You have Tia Correa or Vane Rames, uh, Kevin McDonald, David Odgood Steers. You have a lot of character actors, right? A lot of people that have worked with, some of which worked with Disney before. Music, of course, by Alan Silvestri. And uh, this is not, not quite a, a musical like some of the other ones. It has music, but in a different way. So, um... Lilo and Stitch, I love this poster that's in Wikipedia. It's showing all the Disney characters, like the Beast, Aladdin, all the 90s characters, looking shocked. And it says there's one in every family, and in the middle is the alien Stitch. Well, you you bring up that poster, but that was the whole advertising campaign for Lilo and Stitch. All the trailers were an iconic scene from a past Disney movie that the the stitch would just show up in and immediately disrupt and all your favorite Disney characters would be horrified. Uh, and I even remember like Michael Eisner being in one of the trailers, like, hi, I'm Michael Eisner doing, doing his usual stick. And I'd like uh, to introduce, introduce you to our new character, but I probably shouldn't. It's too dangerous or something. And then like <laughs> stitch runs through and there's chaos. And it's, it's so strange because th- this movie seemed to signal a new direction for Disney and, and, and a potentially a new direction for um, American animation. It is not a musical. Uh, it is not uh, it is not all that toyetic. Uh, it, it, it has it has it's 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 sharper and more it's, it's strange enough. It is sharper, more fantastical, and yet emotionally more down to earth than pretty much anything Disney had done up to this point. And yet, this movie had no impact on the world of animation whatsoever. You know what movie that came out around the same time did? Shrek. Shrek mm-hmm. was the movie that changed animation. And we are still living in the post-Shrek world. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked in theaters when, uh, when, when Shrek came out, at least. I don't recall the early... I don't think Lilo and Stitch was in theaters yet at that point. But uh, So Shrek, I believe, was earlier in the summer or something. But people couldn't get enough of that. You had adults and kids walking out of Shrek... Uh, even one of my friends who has no interest in animation went to see Shrek because of the bag of potato chips. He had a coupon for a free uh, ticket, so he just went. Um, and with all the Smash Mouth and, and uh, uh, I mean, and Shrek, Shrek is a Scottish accents. Uh, Shrek is a Broadway show. The Lift Gals. Um, oh wow! Um, that you can watch on, on Netflix and stuff. 
but uh my cat is screaming at me uh talk it uh, talk about lilo and stitch for a minute oh, oh yeah certainly I gotta yeah, say... like... oh go go ahead alex oh i gotta say i was actually um I was actually very, uh, very overjoyed that you guys invited me on this because my my usual like taste is kind of I have a proclivity for doom and gloom. Like, for instance, yesterday I just watched like Robert Brisson's like Larjon for fun. So yeah, I wouldn't I normally wouldn't wander into something like Lilo and Stitch, and I watched it, and I I just was I fell in love with it. It was um, so much fun, and and you know it's that like requisite level of like cute and sweetness without being overboard. It really just kind of touched all those nice little pleasure spots, you know. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely enjoyed it. Well, you talk about your proclivity for 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 doom and gloom, but this this is one of the the darkest of the Disney animated films, though, because the world is so colorful and because Stitch the character is is so cute, you 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 don't really maintain any conscious awareness of that fact. But like what what is Stitch? He is the result of unethical biomedical experiments. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. the, the family that the family uh, that adopts him, uh, it's an older sister and a younger uh, who has to raise a younger sister because both of their parents died in the same car accident. Uh, the the implication and the implication also seems to be that the aliens are on the verge of destroying the earth just to keep <laughs> stitch contained it's uh, which 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 they don't even think anything of it it seems like the galactic federation has a policy of sterilizing planets yeah exactly and um the real world is very present in this movie which i thought was good with um like you said the the, the the urgency of the of um the main character's family and also they have like social services muscling in and stuff like that and even in the wake of all these incredible extraterrestrial things going on that's still like a very real you know fact in the movie which I thought was interesting. Well, that's the other thing I like is that in 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 a lesser movie. Uh, the social services worker who who has the power to break up uh, Lilo and and her big sister Nani, that would be the villain. But he's not. Like he right. legitimately cares for the welfare of both people, and knows that he has the moral weight of the decision that quite possibly the best thing he can do for this family is is break it up and he is clearly heartbroken about that but he can't let that show through his uh, patrician facade right yeah he's got such an imposing presence and you know at first you're like oh he's the baddie and then it turns out you know he's got more heart than anyone else but it's also so it's it's we're talking about the character of cobra bubbles played by ving rames and one of the things i love about him is that you know he he looks like the ultimate g-man he he just he just looks like the secret service agent, you know, that, that you would trust anything to, uh, which does pay off in the end, but every, he, he has some great lines, but it's all just perfect deadpan delivery. Like, what is your name? <laughs> Bubbles. Bubbles. <laughs> your, your, your knuckles say Cobra. Yes. <laughs> just, I do Cobra's give, his yeah. first name. <laughs> right. Uh, I do want to give this movie credit for it. It has a lot of people of color in it, which you didn't see a lot in animated features at the time oh, uh, yeah. even still you really don't see that a lot um and it doesn't feel like it's like trying too hard you know it's, it, it feels very natural it's not like mm-hmm. trying to be like look at our multicultural cast it's just very right it doesn't it's not far. trying to, to push a be overtly a message it's not a story about racism or about the, the um oppressed or something that's 
but it uh i mean it's a very sort of emotional story i think it's more of a character piece than something focused on plot because the plot as you said is very simple i i watched part of a two-hour documentary that came with the two-disc dvd big kahuna edition uh-huh. of low and stitch uh, that, that's quite good and they were mentioning when they were uh workshopping this every you know chris sanders and dean dubois this was their directorial debut but they had worked on on story on on other pictures for um disney and every so often they do a big retreat with michael eisner and uh, roy disney uh walt's nephew and and all these things right and and they go and they said you know listen these 2d animated stuff the the recent ones really haven't been making money meaning stuff like emperor's new groove um Atlantis, stuff like that. And they said, we need to do, uh, we need to do something more that's cheaper. We need to do something. Why don't we do, why don't we try to make another Dumbo? Something more like that was right. the mandate they were given. And the original plot for Lilo and Stitch was the, the same as the film pretty much, except they would have landed in a Midwest town. And I think oh. that the Hawaii setting is so much the heart of this film that it, yeah. it's part of what makes it fresh. I think had it just been in, uh, bumblefuck nowhere and they're like oh no it's a blue alien let's yeah. shoot it right it would have, have all not the, been good <laughs> you'd have all the same tired tropes that we've mm. seen before yeah it would not stand out it wouldn't have that flavor that this movie has you know well, although to be fair one of the best areas of disney world is bumblefuck nowhere land <laughs> yeah no that's my favorite when uh the the you know you put a quarter in and you get to ride on grandpa's jiggly knee that, that, that's a thrill every time <laughs> <laughs> this is the way the horsey rides indeed uh, but but, but Hawaii, when... Hawaii is a good choice i mean it affect it, yeah. it affects the color palette this movie uses uh it's stitch stitch himself looks like a tropical organism and i and i think that's that that's so great because it's it's in this environment of hawaii that he eventually does find his home so it, everything about that is the right decision and one of the directors and writers chris sanders actually voices stitch Oh, yeah. He's not he's not a voice actor. And uh, I I think off uh, before the show, Thrasher, we were doing some research and discovered not only are there uh, a lot of sequels that we'll be talking about in the weeks to come, but there's a lot of uh, Asian only um, TV shows, one for the Chinese market, one for the Japanese market. Yeah, there was a whole new sequel made uh, just for uh, the Chinese market. And there was a Lilo and Stitch anime series. And the the. If if nothing else, go and watch the uh, the opening theme with the animation for the Lilo and Stitch anime. It is amazing, and the theme song is done by uh, the Pillows, who you may remember from Fully Cooly. Pillows, the original OVA, at least. Yeah, I mean, the oh, animation. Yeah. I would argue in that is better than in this whole film. Uh, but well, te- technically, it is very sound, and the aliens yeah. look amazing. But I mean, with, with this, you know, you have very painterly backgrounds in Lilo and Stitch. You have it's more impressionistic. Um, you're, uh, it's not as serious. I think that is one thing I could do to link it to Emperor's New Groove. It almost feels more like a Warner Brothers show than a Disney show. Well, the other thing that, that really distinguishes it is that it's very firmly rooted in 20th century uh, Americana. Not only is it in one of the 50 states, but there are you know, sort of constant references like to, to bits of pop culture. Uh, Lilo's love of Elvis uh, comes back many, many times in this film. And it even uses a few Elvis tracks in the soundtrack. And not the deep cuts. Oh, yeah. no, sorry, not the standards. It's the deep cuts. It's great Elvis music that you wouldn't normally hear on the radio. And she's listening to it on records. 
before oh, yeah. it was hip. Yeah, before the, the, the vinyl vintage thing was, was hip too. So, you know, she's got she's got more heart than hipsters these days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and um also it, it does it does kind of perfectly, like you said, it's classic bit of Americana and it's also fits really perfect with like that kind of like Luau phase of Elvis's um career, you know. Well, the, the Blue Hawaii like, period. Yeah, exactly. It, it just, clam bake, it, clam bake, gonna have a clam bake. Yeah, it, it, it fits so perfectly. Has uh, anyone been to Hawaii? Regrettably, no. My grandfather used to live there, so I've heard a lot of stories. Um, as a, He was a marine biologist, and after he retired, he went from Massachusetts to Savannah to Hawaii, and he was in, um, oh. he was in uh, one of the main islands. I forget which one. This was a very long time ago. And mm. interesting stories about, like... Um, it is very much a tourist economy. Uh, you know, it's all, you know, beaches and resorts and dudes twirling torches like you see here in the film. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of these, like, poles you're supposed to climb up if, like, a, like a tidal wave hits. Oh. Which I thought was really strange. Huh. Um, the way you described it, a lot of interesting things going on there. Yeah, um, I mean, this particular film takes place in Kauai, which is sort of the more uh, country kind of, I don't know, kind of less developed island. Well, the more yeah. out-of-the-way island. Out-of-the-way <laughs> island. A lot of coffee plantations on there. But um, for my honeymoon, uh, it'll be 10 years ago this year, yikes, uh, we went to uh, Maui, and um, which they call the island for lovers. And it's, a lot of it's touristy, but a lot of it isn't. Like, a lot of the roads are not developed. I was kind of surprised. Um, and it, I feel like this had sort of a Hawaiian mood with kind of the limited experience uh, I, I've had going there. I mean, one of my favorite experiences on the trip is we sort of went on a little beach kind of off the road by a you had to park on the side of the road and walk a, a half a mile uh, it's called turtle beach and it was a lot of uh natives there and you could i was maybe waist deep in water in the ocean swimming and there was big snapping turtles next to me which is quite scary they're quite the beaks on those things are big were they yeah, actually snapping turtles or were they sea turtles excuse me sea turtles big sea turtles oh, okay. Large, yeah, large. snapping turtles still, will kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still imposing, yeah. Quite, quite aggressive. Uh, but <laughs> these are cute, huge ass sea turtles, and in, in this, you would never think in a beach looking at it. Wow. But uh, hence the name Turtle Beach. But, yeah. but anyhow, yeah, Lilo and Stitch. I think the uh, uh, there's a lot of white guys in Hawaii making their living playing shitty covers of music in bars <laughs> all over the place. Uh, oh God, Lilo and and Stitch. And the way it begins uh, is so science fictiony, which is very unusual for a Disney cartoon. Oh I mean, yeah, you with really... all these aliens that that yeah. look like whales and sharks and shit, and, and they're talking, and and it's almost like a Phantom Menace Senate sort of dialogue in the yeah. beginning. Like it's quite serious. You don't quite know what's happening, and but you, you get to Earth pretty quickly. Political bureaucratic jargon, you know. Um, I wasn't expecting that. It was a, but it was a real grab. Wake, it really grabs you in the beginning, which I thought was interesting. Oh, it, it wakes you up, and and yeah. something I love something I love about the designs in this movie is everything. Everything is very round and very organic. And one thing they do that's very smart is that pretty much every alien we see, I think, with the exception of the Grand Council woman, who sort of has that that kind of gray slash Martian look. Virtually every alien looks like a terrestrial organism taken to an extreme. Like Captain Gantu is sort of a shark. Uh, and yeah. like mm-hmm. the pilots we see are sort of like pangolins. Like they're all, they're, they all have these wonderful animal traits that makes them seem plausible, but also gives them a lot of endearing character. Uh, and there's a little touch. There's a little touch in this opening trial where, where we see Professor Jamba put on trial for his unethical experiments, which, which ultimately created Stitch, where 
you know, the councilwoman asks Stitch to prove that it is aware of its surroundings and that Stitch, there's some, there's something worth saving in Stitch. And Stitch says something presumably is like some grave insult. And all the aliens are shocked. But there's this one robot on the Galactic Council that leans over his balcony and just starts vomiting nuts and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, blink if you'll miss it. But it's such a great touch. <laughs> I love all the accents in this film too. It um even with the aliens, you know, the the Dr. Jumba sounds to me sort of like Russian or Slavic. Um and you have kind of the uh, neurotic uh Wendell Pleakley who who is kind of the the number 2 assigned to go and uh retrieve or 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 kill Stitch. Um, well, he's the only alien that does. He's the only alien that is just straight up an alien. There is nothing related yes. to a terrestrial organism. He's just this goofy cyclops with three <laughs> tentacle legs, and and I love how he gets roped into his because he's the expert on Earth, and so he's like the scholar <laughs> that knows about this backwater planet. And there's a great joke that is put in the middle that pays off later, be, uh, because you know they. They're going to exile Stitch to an asteroid, but Stitch escapes uh, by stealing a cruiser with a hyperdrive, does an emergency jump, and ends up crashing on Earth. And at first, like, oh, well, he'll obviously die on Earth because his molecular density is so high. He'll just sink in the ocean, and he'll die. But, of course, he, land, he they see that he crashes on Hawaii. Like, oh, well, I guess we'll sterilize the planet. Like, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> it's the, uh, the, the Earth is the uh, home world of the mosquito, which is an yeah. endangered species, and right. you can't interfere with their primary food source, the humans. And the <laughs> other mom. thing is they refer to the planet as Earth in the beginning. <laughs> I wish they kept that. I wish they kept that throughout the whole movie, but they sort of forget that the aliens pronounce it Earth. <laughs> I thought that was a great bit of business. Um, and, it, and it pays off later, too. It's it's great that um, mosquitoes is, is the endangered species, you know, the most, like, universal, like, pest that you know we as humans humans deal with um that was that was great there's there's been in the news a bit um on disney plus there's been you know censored versions of some of the stuff available yet another reason to buy physical media in my opinion but um one of which is lilo and stitch oh yeah had you it's a very small touch you want to talk about this thrasher yes so um Early so so early on, we're introduced we're introduced to Lilo when she goes to her uh, hula dancing practice for this festival, and she and another girl uh, get into a fight, and we see that she's sort of separate from the kids who would otherwise be her friends. Uh, and there's supposed to be, and uh, Lilo and her sister are supposed to be meeting with a social worker at their house, but Lilo is, but but there's there's a whole sort of there's a whole sort of fracas, and the social worker shows up when Lilo and Nani are having a fight, and. When uh, Lilo comes home, she goes in through the back door and we see a washer and dryer. When both Nani and the social worker are searching for her, in the original cut of this film, she's hiding in the dryer. But on the version that's available for streaming that I think is on the later DVDs, the dryer Mm -hmm. is inexplicably missing. There's a cupboard where the dryer used to be, and instead of a dryer door, it's the flap of a pizza box. Pizza box. And, and and this was a change made originally uh, for the UK market theatrically. Um, I think to get it a lower rating. Huh. Because um, if she was in the dryer, it would look like a like a child in danger or something. Well, kids might copy it. Might think might have oh, been. Oh yeah, that whole thing. The, yeah. the concern, you know. So um, and as far as changes go, that's there's far worse changes Disney has done to things, even on Disney Plus. Even as subtle, not just bad aspect ratios, which I'm not going to. I don't want to start off on that rant, but yeah, but um, 
but 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 <laughs> on the on the Star Wars uh, Empire of Dreams documentary, which was uh, originally on the 2005 DVD, it's a great like three hour thing on the original trilogy. Yeah, it's um, awesome. At one point, there is a a photograph of Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher from the original Star Wars, and Harrison Ford is smoking a cigarette. They took out the cigarette. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. In a documentary. Wow, that's hardcore, man. That's like. Anyway, Lilo <laughs> and Lilo and Stitch. Uh, the voice. Uh, I, I like that they use, um, you know, people from uh, native uh, Hawaiians in in some of the lead roles. You have Tia Carrere, uh grew up on Hawaii, and same with uh, Jason Scott Lee, who perhaps is best known for playing Bruce Lee and Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And, Can we and, talk about Tia Carrere for a second? Yes, I love her. She's great. Yeah, I, I kind of revisited her uh, her career uh, uh, this year because last summer uh, at a sort of this family gathering, me and my cousins, my my like great grand nephew uh, and his grandfather, we all ended up staying up late watching Wayne's World twice. <laughs> and like, yeah, she that was a great debut. She's amazing. And I looked back. I'm like, oh. She has been denied the career she deserves because what did oh, she yeah. have? She had like she had Wayne's World, <clears throat> Wayne's World Two, the villain in Cull the Conqueror, then the Relic Hunter, which ran in syndication for two years. She posed mm-hmm. for Playboy around that time, and then she sort of vanished, except for the occasional bit part. And she is amazing, yeah. and like she and she's great in this in in this voice role as Nani. She, yeah, she, yeah, I mean, yeah, she co-starred with John Lovitz in High School High. Oh, that's right. That's I, I right. wouldn't call yep. it especially high profile, but um, at a theatrical <laughs> release. True Lies, yeah. Yes, and recently she was the one of the bad guys in the Netflix series from RuPaul, uh, AJ and the Queen, oh, where okay, she plays yeah. a villain with an eye patch. Uh, yeah, Quentin Tarantino needs to write a role for her, so camp. she can. Yeah, right. Yeah, that would be a perfect <laughs> Tarantino fit. But if, she's if he gets that Star Trek movie made, make her an admiral. There we go. Yeah. I, I think hmm. uh, I think we're all from that period yeah. where we all probably had a crush on her from Wayne's World. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, ballroom <laughs> blitz indeed. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it is really quite something. And that I, um, I think I talked to you about this, Alex, uh, on the on the chat. But I like how characters scream at each other a lot. It's a lot of highly dysfunctional families, <laughs> yes. and, and and it feels almost like a '70s or, or '80s drama with Meryl Streep or something where people are throwing plates and screaming and, yeah, like and, and, and there's the, the threat of, of not just, uh, you have kind of the thematically, the, these kind of orphans or kids that aren't wanted with stitch, but also with, with the main, uh, child, um, the fuck is her name? Lilo, of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's in the fucking title. And uh, like, it's, um, yeah. It, it, like I said, the like the real world definitely um, is a is a big part of this. And like, if she had just adopted a regular dog, like taking mm-hmm. care of a child, being a single parent figure, and having a kid with a dog, that alone would be like very very incredibly hard to deal with. And then just upping the ante by making it, you know, a, a derelict alien, um, or I guess mutation rather. Um, you know, it's it's you you really get you really feel uh, her struggle in this too. You know, with the social services and trying to find a job and keeping it all together, man. Well, the, the stakes in this movie are very down to earth and, and, and very real. Uh, I, I like, I love Nani's job, uh, job hunt. 
but but also like the the family tensions are very real. And I think it's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to this movie. Uh, I I do often feel like that broken person from a, a broken fucked up family, and I'm glad that there's at least one Disney movie that speaks to that. Yeah, and um, I definitely like uh, I definitely identify with um, with Lilo in a way because like you know when she goes to the pound and stuff, it's like. You know, I'm one of the types that would always like kind of identify with like the the misfit. If I went to adopt a cat, I'd probably get like the three legged, one eyed one. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, I wouldn't want the you know beautiful mancoon or something like that. You know, um, and I like that she also identifies and sees that and stitch that this is another misfit. You know, kind of reject. Yeah, well, she when she adopts Stitch from the pound. Well, one there's this great there's this great bit of Harker. Stitch is this he has antennae and he has like four arms. Yeah, and there's this great bit when he realizes that that he's on this planet with quadrupeds that he like sucks in his alien features and there's just this disgusting noise where he dislocates all the bones in his extra arms and like retracts them into his abdomen. Oh but there's yeah. A great, there's a great bit of comedy, which is very well observed and real. I have seen this happen where they have to pay a $2 adoption fee uh, for Stitch. Uh, and she's like, okay, oh, I want to pay it. Uh, Nanny, can I borrow $2? <laughs> this like Nani, who's about to hand two dollars to the to the pet or to the pound woman, hands the two dollars to Lilo, who then immediately hands it back to her to hand to the woman at the pound. <laughs> that was like I thought that was a great touch too, because I've you know you've seen this happen so many times where it's like oh do you want to pay him? It's cute, and they kind of don't understand mm -hmm. it. It's sweet, and it always happens when there's a big line, so there's people waiting. Yeah, um, they the voice of Lilo is. Devay Chase, who uh, perhaps is best known other than this role for playing Samara in The Ring in the American remake. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, Donnie Darko. S. Darko. Uh, no, S. Darko. Or never, oh. You're right. She's in both. Yep. She's a sequel. She's the sister or something. They did yeah. a direct to video sequel. Of, uh, oh, you're right. She was no, in that. It was a, an early role. And uh, she. Um, you know, was done was in Big Loved, a lot of television. But I mean, she's there, there's a real rawness to her performance. We know Donnie Darko that does have a sequel. So I'll tell you what, we'll cover that sequel in 28 days, six hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds from now. That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, I worked at a video store when S. Darko came out, and like no one bought it. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> one or two people did, like they were kind of curious. But Donnie Darko, Darko was a pretty cult film. And of all the things to make a direct-to-video sequel to, that's somewhat surprising. Well, I remember um, when it came out. If you if you wanted a sequel, you didn't know that there was a sequel. And if you knew that there was a sequel, you were like, what the hell is this? And, and, and then you have things that are just, uh, I call them kind of arrogant sequels, where, for instance, in the Get Smart uh, feature, <laughs> at the same time while filming that, they filmed a spin-off direct-to-video movie on like the two side scientist characters. Oh, yes, oh, called like, Gary and Lloyd or something like that. Uh, yeah, and it's like, like you don't even have a franchise yet, dude. Like, pump the brakes, man. Uh, <laughs> but with, with this, I mean, I, uh, the romance, although not really focused on, is good, I think, between Dave or the crush between David and Nani. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like they're they're they start as uh, co-workers at this uh, restaurant that does like mm -hmm. luau's and does the does his fire eating show. And there's 
And and what I, what I absolutely love is they're, they're clearly friends. They've clearly known each other forever. He has a big a big crush on her. He keeps trying to like ask her out, and she keeps being too busy to even acknowledge that that's what's being asked. But you do see that there. But you still do see their relationship develop. And that's one thing I like about this is like if she turned him down, he'd be heartbroken, but he'd also be totally cool with it. Like I love that he can yeah. be friends with Lilo and Nani just to be friends with him. Yeah, it's very sincere, and like you said, um, you know, like, she can't even re- respond. She's, you know, got all the juggling, you know, trying to keep all these balls in the air, and um, it, it's another very human, very uh, relatable aspect uh, to the movie, which I thought was, it's it's such a grounded film for such, for, you know, uh, for how um, intriguing and, and uh, intriguing and, uh, I guess, uh, ambitious uh Level of ambition, I guess, that it has. Yeah, um, and while all this realistic family drama is happening with Lilo and Nani, we we keep cutting into a Pleakley and Jumba in their fumbling attempts to secure a stitch. They are a great comic relief. And the voice acting of um <laughs> of Kevin McDonald, I just thought was great. He's got such a whiny, great mm-hmm. voice. Um <laughs> And Doctor Jumpa's just you know your level your your amiable oaf. He's uh, such a bonehead, and and the uh, the you know the psych acts of them trying to you know like fit into like everyday society with like the newspapers and the hats and <laughs> tries to like, dress up like a woman on vacation. It's uh, I thought that was hilarious. Well, and, I, and I love that those disguises apparently work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one seems to mind that you know he's a cyclops. Uh, Lilo and Stitch was a, a rare film that was not rare, but uh, one of many films affected by September 11th. Uh, originally, at the oh, end yeah. of the picture, instead of um, Stitch flying around in a, a little spaceship, he hijacked an airplane and flew around. Ooh, yeah. And that yeah. was considered uh, not apropos. So that with with CG, it, the plane was a CG model anyway, so they could replace it and didn't have to reanimate too much. But okay. that's. Uh, I think a spaceship works better anyway. You're trying to yeah. with the whole science fiction thing, and it's already laid in because it's Jamba mm-hmm. and Pleak from the spaceship. Beginning. We know we know That's they right. have it. Uh, but if you if you go online, uh, you can find the original footage, uh, and there is, uh, and I think there's even some comparisons of the airplane shots versus uh, the spaceship shots. Oh wow! Yeah, and the um, it's it's a pretty you know kind of action packed finale to the film i think you have a lot going on with the they capture stitch and also well, yeah, captain the, gantu eventually stops waiting on pleakley and comes to earth himself not just that but with nani you know uh nani has messed up too many times so lilo has to be taken into uh child support not what, what the fuck am i talking about not child support uh, foster care yeah thank you foster care by bubbles and uh it's uh and, and you feel for her it's you know, she's being raised by a, a single, by her older sister, who's working all these jobs, keeps on getting fired in this rundown house that's falling apart. And no matter what she does, despite her best attentions, it uh, looks bad from the outside, although it's not. They seem to work around okay. And I really got sad this time when the house got destroyed. I forgot that happened. But the house is almost a character in the film. It's, oh, yeah, definitely. Um and it's like a, in the Disney tradition, I always go into everything like, ah, I'm a, you know, mature man. I can da da da. And then they just, they really just know how to, you know, pull the heartstrings. When you're like, the house gets destroyed and everything and she's getting taken away, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> well, you know what makes me cry every time? 
uh, about halfway through the movie, after they've done the whole, after Lilo's done the whole trying to teach Stitch to be a good person by using Elvis as a role model, there's, and after this big fight with Nani, uh, they're just in Lilo's room and, you know, Stitch is kind of curled up on the shelf. And just out of nowhere, Lilo just says, I hear you cry at night. And like, even now, mm. it's getting me kind of choked right? up. No, oh, it's a, it's a good it's a good moment. Uh, you there's a lot of good comedy where they try and oh wow look at that no it's yeah. it's, it's real man his eyes yeah. are leaking uh you you have um all four of them people people <laughs> all four of them people uh reflecting uh, uh thinking that Stitch is a dog is a form of a lot of comedy in in the beginning you have set up with uh, that that truck in the beginning that hits him and then later he really like does something different with the truck instead of like laying flat he kind of tosses it around oh yeah yeah he, he he puts a leak in a fuel truck it explodes and that launches him uh, yeah. into the sky to, to intercept Gantu's ship i also love how like um you're you're not like at first you're not sure like how like strong he is and then you find out he's actually very strong and is capable of of doing some serious damage um well it's he's... funny because like in the beginning like uh professor jamba talks about how he engineered him with all these like outlandish superpowers and he does use pretty much all of them at the end of the movie yeah true so at, at the end things wrap up pretty neatly but this is a disney cartoon i guess <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, yeah, you know the 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 president of the after a whole sort of shootout in the skies over Hawaii yeah. involving Gantu's ship and and Gantu uh, kidnapping uh, Lilo as well, just kind of assuming she's like, I, oh yeah, because he assumes that Lilo is Stitch's pet, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, just doesn't care that she gets sucked up on this. Yeah, the Galactic Councilwoman comes down because uh, she's just tired of waiting on this whole mess uh, and. There's there's a, there's a few things that happen, but one is that Bubbles inexplicably knows a lot about aliens uh, mm -hmm. and mentions that aliens are sticklers for the rules. So when they come to take Stitch away, Lilo says, "Wait a minute, I've got this document that says I own him. That means I'm my responsibility. He's my responsibility. If you take him, you're stealing." So the Galactic Council's like, "Oh, well, then we remand him into your custody." Uh, <laughs> and then Bubbles reveals that he used to work for the government, like as a secret agent. And yeah. that he was at a peace negotiations at Ro at, a, at Roswell in the 1970s, and he prevented an alien invasion by convincing aliens that mosquitoes were an endangered species. <laughs> he has officially saved the world. Um, and I love, like, the air of familiarity between him and the, and the, um, the galactic uh, leader or what have you. It's like, oh, hey, what's up? Good to see you again, you know. <laughs> It's it's a it's a great bit, and then you know we we end with us you know Lilo and Nani get to stay together. They get to stay with Stitch, and uh, Stitch has become a better person. Uh, Lilo has matured because now she's had real responsibilities in her life, much like what her sister had. Uh, her sister has a job, uh, and then and uh, there's some romance going between her uh, and the guy who's a crush on her. And then it ends with a song. It ends with uh, it ends with that. Uh, I feel, uh, I feel my temperature rising by Elvis. Uh, we, they, they rebuild the house, and over the credits, we get all these great photos of like the little family outings that that group of characters has 
uh, like you know, in the years following the yep. events of this movie, and they actually uh, make it to Memphis. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it culminates with them in front of the gates of Graceland, which is great. But there's also this wonderful shot. It's that Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving painting, but it's all the characters from this movie with Bubbles serving the turkey. It's really great. <laughs> I, love like, that. I, lo- I love that even Bubbles is still a part of this. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, all the um, photos at the end. It's just and what a nice moment to end it yeah. on and. Also, you don't have to animate if it's a bunch of still pictures, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, and I have to say, for you know, for uh, for a Disney family, um, you know, family cartoon, this is this feels like real, like real sci-fi. You know, like there's like a world going on here with the with the Federation and the Roswell backstory and everything. And like you, like you said, that that real like punchy intro. I'm like this this feels like real sci-fi, like some Heinlein shit. Or you know, it's. Uh, well, they don't they don't go too far with like the like the the sci-fi trappings. It's mostly window dressing, but they don't they don't go too far on the technology. But the technology they do have, it, it seems strangely consistent. Like like the guns with genetic targeting, and, right. and like in, in a lesser movie that they have genetic targeting would just be like sci-fi jargon. But that pays off in the plot when Stitch uses the trace DNA in his snot and saliva to get them <laughs> to shoot in the wrong direction. Yeah. Or how, like, the guns all apparently, they don't shoot lasers, they appear to shoot balls of condensed plasma. And, like, it's never spoken of, but, like, that's how it works. They don't explode on impact, they splatter and they burn. Right. Uh, and it's it's just it's just so many like nice nice little touches like that and like and like how Stitch he gets his power he gets his strength because he has a super dense musculature but that also means the mass in his muscles is so dense he sinks in water and so he can't swim and that right. also you know plays out in the movie. Yeah, um, no, I think overall I would give this a sequel. Yes, I think this is a very strong effort. Um, it was a surprise hit. It was also cheaper to make than some of the other ones Disney had done. So it got a lot of sequels, which we'll be covering in the weeks ahead. Um, Thrasher, why don't you explain like the sequels really quick be- before uh, you give your... Oh, I, I, take that back. Give okay. your ratings, and then afterwards, Thrasher, talk about the sequels, because it's a bit confusing. Oh, no problem. Yeah, so, so yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely uh, giving a sequel yes as well. Uh, I I really enjoy this movie on its own, but it's also it's also one of those movies where even though everything is wrapped up at the end, I would dearly love to see another adventure or two with these characters. I, I, I definitely think the whole thing has some legs. Alex? Uh, yeah, definite uh, sequel, yes. Um, somehow this one just kind of got by me um, over the years. I, never, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen it until watching it in preparation for this episode. But it was, it was delightful. And um, I think at the time, like, um, at the time it seemed like Disney was, was kind of hit or miss. There was a lot of... There's like a lot of live action stuff, some stop motion, um, like my favorite Martian, like a lot of like weird remakes, like uh, Flubber and stuff like that. Um, and this, like you said, this was kind of a, just like an unexpected, um, unexpected hit that kind of came out of uh, came out of left field, and it's a it's a it's a delight. I love it quite a bit. Very good. Um, so Thrasher, why don't you explain how these sequels work? Because it's. The numbering and the titling is, I, I found, very confusing. Yeah, so I, I definitely think, you know, in their quest to make, quote-unquote, another Dumbo, I think Disney was very much prepared for this film to fail and to just write it off as a, as a loss. Mm-hmm. But it was an overwhelming success, and of course they had to scramble to capitalize on the success. And so what that means is it it 
after the fact became a franchise and it's a very sloppily assembled franchise. Uh, there was, of course, an animated series, which I don't know anyone who liked, although it does contain an episode where they reunite the entire cast of the kids in the hall, I believe mm. is Pleakley's family. I want to go back and watch that uh, oh, at some point. That's funny, yeah. But, so anyway, so the, the, the sequels, so there's Lilo and Stitch, then there is Stitch the movie, which was direct-to-video, then there was... Lilo and Stitch 2, which is the third movie in the series, <laughs> first Blood Part 2, uh, Stitch <laughs> has a glitch. Uh, and then finally, it's all wrapped up with a television movie, which I think premiered on the Disney Channel, uh, mm. Leroy and Stitch, which I guess Leroy is another one of the aliens. I actually haven't seen any of the sequels, so I'll be going into these very, very fresh. Yeah, me too. So uh, the next one we're doing next week is uh, Stitch the movie? Yes, yeah, Stitch the movie. Stitch the movie. Okay. Um, what a bad title. That's so uncreative. Okay, so <laughs> let's do pitch a sequel. I would, mine would be called um, Oliver Stone's Lilo and Stitch. And this would kind of, I was inspired by what you said, Thrasher, about the conspiracy theory angle. So that this would reveal that Stitch had actually been to Earth uh, once before, or maybe the prototype, maybe like we call him Stitch Zero or something. Well, he is experiment 626, so that implies that there are 625 previous experiments. Which I think is kind of like the Pokemon concept of the TV show, but... Um, Indeed. Yeah, but but any, but yeah, this would be like Experiment Zero, I guess. Oliver Stone's Experiment Zero, that's a better title. And that is the reason for all the Roswell UFO sightings was because of that. And you would have um, the father, I think, of of bubbles in who's also in the CIA, but he's in black ops. He's, he's in these top secret government projects trying to stop the alien. And at, at the end you'd have kind of a moving scene where, uh, bubbles father who I can't think of a good name for him right now. Uh, maybe his first name is blowing, uh, blowing decides to go up and join the aliens instead of stay on earth. He leaves his son. And so his son has uh, some sort of a suspicion towards aliens. Is it, is it going to turn out that Captain Gantu is, in fact, Bubbles, uh, Cobra Bubbles' father, but he gave himself genetic surgery, so that's why he looks like a giant shark? <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, that'll be the last uh, post credit <laughs> stinger is like this body horror scene of him being the surgery, transforming from man into the, uh, the shark. No, it should, to- it should totally be like Darth Vader, like he's on a slab. What happened to Cobra? In your anger, you killed him. No. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Oliver Stone's Experiment Zero would be mine. That's a good title. I would definitely watch that. Alex, what's yours? Um, so the um, so Lilo and Stitch, what happens is that their um, their Elvis covers really really take off. They... They get the attention of, of, of record execs and, and labels and what have you. So um, they actually take off as a, as a musical duo. Um, and it really just blows the fuck up. So they go on um, they go on a cross-country tour <laughs> as Lilo and Stitch. Phil just Lilo and Stitch. Um, Cobra Bubbles becomes their road manager. Um, Dr. Jumba and Pleakley are their, you know... Are like the you know they're they're varied associates and um, you know Nani's on the bass player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, so Nani's on board too, you know, because you know that's her guardian. And um, you know, they they set across uh, the country, but um, there's also uh, 
you know, can can you know, Willow handle the trappings of fame? Can she handle the pressures of being on the road and being this, uh, you know, renowned um, beloved musician by many? And meanwhile, um, uh, transmissions of these live concerts get caught by another rogue element in the Galactic Federation that has a beef to settle with Cobra Bubbles. So not only are they dealing with all this, but they also have another rogue alien element dealing with uh, being combative with them. And it's called um, uh, Lilo and Stitch, A Star is Born. Hmm. No suicide scene? No, no, no. We'll, 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 we'll digitally uh, remove that. Well, you know what we'll do instead of a suicide scene? Since we know that Jabba and Pleakley are going to be like the drummer and bass player, we have to have Pleakley recreate the bass player sketch from The Kids in the Hall. That would be perfect. Which a friend of mine went to an open, went to a, went to a poetry reading and did that on stage. That's awesome. And, and one person in the audience got it. Like everybody was listening in stunned silence, but this one person was trying to contain their laughter so hard. <laughs> kids in the hall, kids in the hall. Yeah, that's pretty oh, good. That's, such a great show. that's their theme song. Kids in the hall, kids in the hall. <laughs> well, uh, Amazon is bringing them back for a new series, the new oh, Kids okay. in the Hall. Um, although I don't think it's, I'm not sure if it's been filmed yet or anything. Everything being delayed nowadays. Um, yeah. Thrasher, what's your picture sequel? All right, so mine is going to be Lilo and Stitch and Graceland, and it's going to be a movie all about them making a road trip. They're going to fly. They're going to fly into Los Angeles from Hawaii, and it's going to be their road trip to get to Graceland and uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, and just you know pay their homage to the king. Uh, I am going to f- fudge it a little bit. I'm going to make. Uh, I'm going to age uh, Lilo up. She's going to be in her early teens now, and uh, and you know and and she you know she's grown up into a mature young woman, but. The big emotion, the emotional stakes in this movie is that Lilo has now grown to the point where she is starting to assert her independence, and it's an independence she definitely needs and and has largely earned. And so the emotional stakes in this movie are about Nani learning to let uh, Lilo grow up and make her own mistakes. And of course, you know, Stitch is there too. Um, they will, of course, make it to Graceland, but it will culminate in a big crazy uh fight in graceland i'm figuring i like the idea of like of stitch like playing the guitar and being kind of a novelty act so on the road when they when they're like their wallets get stolen that's how they start making money is stitch does some busking and there'll be a crooked record executive who of course wants to wants to take stitch and make him this this big thing uh you know there'll be there'll be toys there'll be video games a series maybe even an animated movie um <laughs> but of course he's not interested in that he doesn't want fame he just wants his family so uh that'll be all part of the fight but the whole fight gets resolved when what you think is elvis shows up and basically puts the record executive in his place you know helps uh helps lilo and nani reconcile kind of pat stitch on the head uh and then kind of vanishes mysteriously only it's going to turn out it's not elvis because of course elvis is dead that's just an elvis impersonator who decided to use his authority (laughs) Uh, and his Elvis disguise to sort of set matters right. Mm, I love it. And, and it'll end with another set of photographs playing over the credits of them going back to Los Angeles and flying back to Hawaii with all these shots of them and different landmarks and things like that. <laughs> Very good. So now we're uh, going to go on to, to what you're watching. Uh, Alex, what have you been watching? Um. I've watched for the first time um, Lady Hawk, 
Oh, yeah, the Richard Donner picture. I had never seen it. And the Mm -hmm. funny thing is that this is like another classic case of Alex not understanding what a movie is sometimes. Um, So, like, if you look at the cover, like, Matthew, you got Matthew Broderick, a hawk, and, like, you know, um, uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's face. Oh, oh, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, right. Um, So I thought that this was, like, like like, a... neorealist like romance movie about like because it looks like he's like i thought he was wearing a hoodie <laughs> you know like the little strings look yeah, like yeah. you'd have like a hooded sweatshirt <laughs> so i thought this was going to be this like i don't know just like this like like down and dirty like romantic film about like a man and a woman and a hawk somehow <laughs> like like ken loach's cast or something and then the credits were all like holy shit it's like a medieval fantasy <laughs> flick <laughs> Um, needless to say, I, I absolutely adored it. I, I'm shocked I hadn't seen it, um, probably because I thought it was a offbeat love movie that didn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, Lady Hawk, great cast. Um, a lot of one cool of, stuff. One of the worst scores I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By Alan Parsons I, Project. It's yeah. It's, I find it kind of charming in its I, weird way. It, it, it took it, me out at first, but I ended up really loving it towards the it, end. It's unintentionally hilarious, especially over the opening credits where it begins. It, it's kind of serious, noodling around on the keyboard, and then it sounds like it's Jazzer side. It's just this ridiculous. It's, uh, it's funny too because I thought like I was like, is this early enough to the point where this would have been like groundbreaking? And then it turns out not so much. <laughs> but um, it did take me out at first, but I did it. It did work its uh, charm on me, so I, I did end up liking it quite a bit. But um, it is one. Like, it is like a jolt though at first. Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. One of the people going gunning for the Matthew Broderick part was um, Rick Moranis, who I think would have been better, frankly. I can see that. Yeah, he's he, kind of the comedic monk. Yeah, he seems. Um, he's uh, definitely like the most modern part of that movie. You know, like with the sarcasm, the quips, and what have you. Um, Matthew Broderick's career is very interesting to me. Um, he's the last person I would have cast as Ulysses S. Grant, but he's great in that. Um, he's good in this too, and he. I feel like he's he's good at that kind of um, fumbling, you know, wide-eyed sidekick character. Um, and I believe uh, Rutger Hauer was the second choice they wanted. Um, oh, yeah. Uh. Ah, crap. I forgot. Um, of course, Rutger Hauer would nail it. Um, yeah, he's very good. He, uh, he died recently, unfortunately. Yeah, which is too bad because I am something of a Rutger Hauer fan. Um, especially the early, um, with the early um, uh, Paul Verhoeven stuff. Yes. Kurt Russell. Um, Kurt Russell was the one oh. he wanted. Mm. Which I think would have worked, but I think it would have been more comedic. I could see that. Um, I think uh, the, the stoic badass loner thing works out well but um yeah who knows what it could have been but what it is is pretty fun so yeah lady Hawk, it's pretty awesome great uh thrasher all right so i uh i i went on, on a real binge uh and and watched a number of sort of pop cultural things that i had been meaning to catch up on but one of them which i was surprised delighted me is i watched teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows 
We should talk about uh, those on the show. I've never, yeah, because we haven't done those. We should. That's the second one of the newer ones? Yeah, that's the second one of the the Michael Bay produced ones. As far as I know, there's not going to be a third. Although although Mm -hmm. I I think I talked about watching the first one at some point on the show as well in this segment, but I did not like the first one. I really enjoyed this second one. Uh, it's, It's a tighter script. It doesn't have to waste time on an origin story. But the other thing is that the the first movie, its big flaw is they really tried too hard to make the tur- to make the turtles like gritty and serious. But unlike yeah. the Jim Henson movies, they didn't do that by tapping into its comic book roots. This movie embraces all the goofiest parts of the animated series, and that really uplifts it. Like Be- Bebop and Rocksteady are in it, and they are two standout characters. Oh yeah. Like they they are like they they are just these like perfect criminal best friends. The turtles all have distinct personalities this time. Excellent, yeah, because uh, they were just terrifying in the twenty fourteen one. Yeah, they didn't really they didn't really change the uh, the look of the turtles, but their the motion capture acting is definitely a lot better. They come off as a lot less threatening. They act like real fun loving teenagers. Okay, yeah. Uh, in in this one, uh, you know, they just decide to kind of go nuts with other dimensions and Krang and all this stuff. Uh, that being said, I really want to see the cut that has uh, that has uh, uh, was it D- uh, Dave Arneson doing the voice of Krang. Oh, cool! Like appara- apparently he was the original voice, and then the week before the film released, uh, they had it all re-recorded with the actor who played Raymond's brother on Everybody Loves Raymond. Unfortunately, I don't remember his name off the top. Yeah, of my head. Brad Garrett. Oh yeah, Brad Garrett. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So it's 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 really fun and and, uh, and yeah it's it captures it captures the spirit of the best of the old uh, of the old mm. 90s cartoon show episodes excellent yeah, i'll have to put that in in the docket i do not care for the human lips on those turtles the, 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 <laughs> oh yeah oh, and the, the musculature and the it does it have does the sequel have as many jokes about um michelangelo wanting to fuck april thank thankfully no He's yeah, like, oh, was... in that first one, he's like, oh, I'm bursting out of my shell here. Yeah. Like, yeah. like clearly, like yeah. clearly, he does have like a a crush on her, but like he does not, he he's not nearly as creepy as in the as the first film. And like the main thing is that Casey Jones is a character in this one, and like really the main way that manifests is there's a they uh, is they all like walk in on her having a secret meeting with Casey Jones, and he's like, hey, I just got one question. Are you two like a thing? <laughs> and he does this like weird two finger move, like not a sexual move, but like a are you together or are you not thing. Right. And it's almost endearing, quite frankly. <laughs> cool. He has this, re- he has this real innocent view of adult relationships. <laughs> yep. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I saw a, a trilogy of, of TV movies because you're watching a lot more TV with the, this COVID-19 uh, um, outbreak going on. I saw the trilogy uh, on Disney Plus of uh, The Descendants. And I, I think it's a good concept. I don't like these very much, but we watched all three because we didn't have anything better to do. The <laughs> idea is the children of Disney villains, the Disney villains, uh, it's all in the same universe, all the Disney stuff. And the children of Disney villains um, go from the bad guy uh, island, basically. to <laughs> Bad guy island. Yeah, are, are accepted from bad guy island to good guy castle to go to school. So it's kind of like Harry Potter where they accepted. Uh, and the reason why is like, they want to be more, the good guys want to be uh, more friendly with the bad guy neighbors. So they'll accept on a limited condition for students to come over. Um, I think like the daughter of the snow white, the, the evil queen and snow white and uh, 
So, I mean, apparently if you die in a cartoon, you're still living on Bad Guy Island. I don't quite get how that works. <laughs> but it's live action. It often looks uh, cheap with the special effects, which kind of surprised me. I thought Disney would have money to spend on these things. Um, Kenny Ortega directed all three. He's done things like directed Newsies and did choreography for for Dirty Dancing. You know, he has a big history with that stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I don't like these very much. If you're going to watch one, watch the second one. That at least has some okay action at the end. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is not my favorite thing. Yeah, I was sentence. aware of them. I, I, I was just never, I never took that deep dive. But um, it, apparently it's a big franchise. They did a uh, spinoff cartoons, uh, series. They have a whole series of young adult books and hardcover. Um, oh. and, and the actor, unfortunately that played the son of Corolla DeVille, uh, died as in a seizure. So he was oh. epileptic and just one of the seizures, uh, unfortunately got him. So that's not good. But um, so if they'll still do more, I bet they will uh, some way or another because these are all pretty popular. The The soundtrack albums charted uh, on kids radio. So, yeah, The Descendants. Um, oh, my God. I actually have watched this. My Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. My ex-girlfriend made me watch like a bajillion years ago. <laughs> um, well, when it came out. And yeah, that I, it was it was not good. I was not into it. <laughs> Um, uh, in the first one, they do an especially egregious rap, white people rapping cover of "Be Our Guest." Oh yeah, that was not good. Evil like me, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all coming back now. Yep, I, got, um, I tried really hard to <laughs> suppress it. So, Thrasher, we have to do a sequel scene. Oh yes, and actually, I completely forgot to. This is the first time in a long time I've forgotten to look up the the sequel scene because well, we just, just did like Japanese movies where you couldn't really uh, oh, yeah. do it. Well, that, that's something. true. We did. Uh, yeah. We did fall out. Uh, trying to find. A, I'm trying to find a good third person scene here. Oh, here's one. We've got one with. Uh, we've got one with Stitch, Jamba, and Pleakley. I'm going to go ahead and drop this into the chat. Excellent. All right. So this scene. This is during the big fight that ends up destroying uh, Lilo and Nani's house. And the short the short version is that Stitch has built a bomb, uh, and it keeps passing uh, between all these characters. So who wants to uh, who wants to play what? Um, I'd like to do Jumba. I'll be Pleakley. Okay, I will do Stitch. So we'll start with with Stitch handing Jumba the bomb. Merry Christmas. It's not Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. It's not Hanukkah. Pleakley scoops up Lilo and carries her away from the house. We're leaving, Stitch! Trust me, this is not going to end well. One potato. Two potato. Three potato. Four. Five potato. Six potato. Seven potato. More. Five. Mother. Told. Me. You. Are. It. Ha! I win. Ooh. And then the bomb explodes. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. Um... The way you do Stitch, though, actually reminds me a little bit of your Slimer. I don't know why. I mean, it's like two completely distinct voices. <laughs> uh, true, and but they're both, I don't know, something about Stitch reminds me of Slimer for some reason watching it this time around. Stitch is more here. Yeah. Slimer more here. Right. Almost a little um, uh, precious. Uh, what's this? Yeah, the, the gurgling in the vocals, the... The back of the throat. Very good. Okay, so next time on Sequel Cast 2, we are covering... Uh, do I have this right? Stitch the movie? Stitch the movie. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Clever um, title. Yep. 
and all these you can watch on uh, Disney Plus, and, and they've all been released on DVD over the years. Disney has not been shy about releasing their product on video over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I believe the Blu-ray release of Lilo and Stitch comes packed with one of the sequels. They tend to do that with some of their releases. Um, but for uh, for sequel cast two, uh, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. Oh, fuck. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. <laughs> Uh, buy my book, The Films of Uwe Boll, Volume 1, The Video Game Movies, at Amazon. Thrasher. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter, at Internet Mayor. Uh, you can check out, uh, I'd re- I've been working on some cartography for an RPG, a system-neutral RPG adventure book called In the Footsteps of Hercules. It's an uh, epic fantasy quest inspired by the Seven Labors of Hercules. I've got some maps in that, and new maps are rolling out and being added to the uh, electronic version of the, pop- of the publication every week or so. Uh, also, I can finally talk about, uh, talk about this. I mentioned the Fading Suns Pax Alexius uh, Kickstarter. That Kickstarter has wrapped up. Uh, so now, uh, if you want, uh, keep on the lookout and pre-order the Reeves source book for the new edition of Fading Suns. Uh, I have uh, I uh, wrote uh, the majority of that book. Uh, also, uh, after that, in the later wave of source books, check out the Charioteers Guild source book. Uh, that's another book I had the privilege of working on. Sounds like you're a very busy beaver there, Thrasher. I, I very, very much am. I actually just got some red lines for a uh, for a book uh, for this project back, and I'm in the in the I'm busy trying to get all the editor's notes resolved before sending them out back out on Monday, so the book can finally go into layouts. Don't you just love track changes? Uh, sort well. <laughs> in principle, yes. In fact, no, because the word processor I'm using, my license for Microsoft Word expired. So, oh, uh, yeah. until I can uh, until I can arrange to get uh, to get a new to get uh, a new license for it, I'm using a different program, and the different programs track oh, no. changes. For whatever reason, it decides when your tracking changes. You must want to type really slow. Oh, that sucks. So I'll type uh-huh. out a whole sentence and then watch it slowly <laughs> fill up the page. But only when I'm changing something. If I'm oh, uh, okay. if I'm copying or pasting, it doesn't do that. <laughs> Great. Um, Alex? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, CrabNebula1914. And um, the YouTube channel, the Trailer Project, um, it started as trailer commentaries, like Trailers from Hell, but it's kind of taken a different direction in recent months with a lot of kind of cool, freaky, like, uh, pseudo, um, I guess, essay films, if you will, about retro spiritualism and gothic biology and what have you. So a lot of freaky, weird, Mm. fun stuff to check out there. So check it out. Are you getting some people commenting on those, or...? Yeah, yeah, it's actually good, getting good. some more traction lately. It's it's pretty cool. Great. Um, so this is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. This is Alex. Same. Prove to me, say just one thing that there is good within you. <laughs> I like spam. <laughs> oh, foulness! Hawaii. That that was the worst. Uh, stitch ever. <laughs> okay. Um.